Hey guys, I uh, I wasn't planning on making a podcast about this, but I made a post on Facebook, and uh, it, in a short period of time, it's gotten quite the um, response. And I'm a little skeptic about jumping on this topic because usually when I have a podcast in mind, I have a purpose and um, making sure I don't ramble too much or educate and close it out, you know. But <laughs> this one, I really don't. But I guess I guess the purpose is I wanted uh, you to know stuff you maybe didn't know about Pulse. And um, so on June 12th, 2016, I uh, lived maybe a mile, mile and a half from Pulse. And I remember waking up to helicopters. And, um, which was nothing, you know, abnormal, but I noticed there was more than one. And it was one of those, uh, eerie things. You knew something was going on, you know, and I got up, went downstairs and I had a roommate at that time, uh, Josh. And he, he was a little frazzled. I think he was making coffee and the TV was on. I go, what's up? And he said, uh, there was a shooting last night. And I said, okay, like, there's always a shooting. And he said, it was at Pulse. And I said, okay. And I just thought, like, oh, you know, someone shot somebody in the parking lot. I mean, the trauma center is right next to it. I worked trauma there for two years. It's nothing that abnormal. And he just had a blank look in his face, and I said... I don't remember everything, but he just said, no, there was a shooting with an assault rifle. And I just remember uh, feeling like the skeletal frame was ripped out of my body standing there and not knowing what to say and also to wondering how many were killed and thinking were my friends there? Did I have clients there? Um, You know, and so we both kind of just sat on the couch and turned the news on. And as we found out, as the day unfolded, the news was kind of behind. Um, You know, me, because I had worked at the trauma center and I also had a gym at that time. I had a lot of people that were working in forensics or they were nurses or doctors. So we kind of got the heads up before it was national news. And um, what started coming in was uh, pretty gruesome. And you might want to stop right now. Um, just a warning. You might not want to know this stuff. So, as you know, over the next 24 to 48 hours, if you recall that day, the details started coming out, but they were very um, filtered, you know. Um, Basically, what happened was this guy who went in there, um, and I'm trying to sugarcoat this, because, you know, I know medical people can be pretty uh, gruesome, but... um, They didn't have heads. Um, That really wasn't talked about in the media. And um, 
my client, who was actually one of the forensic guys who went in, said that, you know, the dance floor, the main room, you know, by the time they got in there, the power was off. It was June here, which is like, you know, unbearable heat. So their room was just really hot. There was no air conditioning. And there was people who were in the air conditioning vents because they tried to crawl out to escape. And um, they were shot as well. But most of the people around the dance floor um, had their heads blown off. And that's what took so long to identify the bodies. And um, he said that the hardest part was the cell phones. All you heard through the whole building were cell phones ringing or vibrating. And knowing that at the other end of those phones were the family, um, the partner, um, and panic. You know, and they couldn't pick up the phones. They couldn't touch anything because it was under investigation. And uh, I've talked to him a couple times after, and he just said, you know, to this day it haunts him. Um, I had ironically just left trauma right before that, like a year before that. And my unit that I worked in is where everybody was at. And the people that I talked to that I still uh, am friends with that were working that night told me, which kind of blew my mind, when you work trauma or ER, they teach you a disaster drill. I don't remember the colors. I might be wrong, but basically they line the beds up in the hallway and there's flags. And again, these colors might be off. I don't remember. Um, and I think every hospital might have different color coding. I don't think this is a thing across the board, but if there's a black flag on the bed, I think that means they're not going to make it. If there's a red flag, they have to go to surgery immediately. Um, if there's a green flag, it means they're going to be fine. Um, and they just had this hallway of beds. And I was told, I'm not sure who does the triage. I'm sure it's a trauma surgeon or somebody who goes down and does it. But that some of the nurses had told me that... Um, there were people laying in the beds crying for their mom or their uh, their partner. And um, they had a black flag on their bed. And uh, they thought they were going to be all right because they were at the hospital. And, you know... I didn't ask, and I've never been in the situation, thank God, but I don't think the nurse or their doctor told them, like, you're not going to make it, you know, or we don't have this, like, you're, you've been put on the black flag, and you're going to bleed out. And um, a couple of my friends that were there that did that, they, they left after that. They couldn't, it was too much um, to have somebody look at you and grab your hand or grab your scrubs and say, please help me or thank you, knowing that you're not going to do anything. That's the shit that the media doesn't talk about. Um, there's still a surgeon there that wears the same shoes. I don't know his name, but um, his shoes were covered in blood. And to this day, he does surgery in those shoes to uh, 
in honor of all those people that night. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what happened. And there was another client of mine that um, told me this story uh, that at one point, everybody was just trying to get away from him. And the power was out. There was no light, but um, the building's kind of industrial and there's a like grating on the outside. And uh, you could see the light come in from the street lights. And several people ran in the bathroom and they got into a stall. You know how small a bathroom stall is. I think he said there was like nine people in it or something. And basically in the middle of the stall, um, they were laying on top of each other. They weren't standing. Like it was just people trying to hide. He was off to the left standing. And... You know, he just said, everybody was like, shh, shh, just be quiet, just be quiet. And they're just trying to be so quiet. And somebody ran in and pounded on the door. And all of them were just like kind of panicked because he was making noise. And they opened the door and he came in and he crawled to the top of the pile. And they closed the door. And shortly after that, the door opened up. And he said, it was just like... A horror movie that the the guy walked in and you could hear his uh, boots walk towards the stall. And um, can you imagine? Can you fucking imagine being in that position? And um, he said he looked up and he saw him put the the rifle um, above the stall. And then he pointed it down, and he just started shooting. He was the only one that made it out of the stall alive. Um, I think the bullet went through his uh, side, and it went out his hip. It didn't hit any arteries and stuff, so he he survived. But everybody else in the stall um, was killed. And uh, I haven't talked to him in a while but I know he had some severe PTSD and uh, survivor guilt. So that's what pretty much happened. Um, the bar still stands as it is. There was a lot of, uh, and by the way, I am in no circle of even talking about some of the stuff. So I just know what's talked about in the community. And actually some of my clients were actually bartenders. Um, actually, one of my favorite clients, uh, Katie, was a, a bartender there. Um, I don't think she worked that night, though. But um, there was a lot of uh, arguing about what they were going to do with the building. A lot of people wanted to tear it down and build a monument. And the owner didn't, and there was a bunch of uh, lawsuits towards the owner, and there's just a bunch of drama. Um, but basically, the bar is still standing there exactly the way it was, but there's a fence around it. And they kind of built a little monument about around it. It's kind of like how 9-11 was. If you're ever in New York around Ground Zero, there's a fence. And people put pictures and cards and flags up all the time. Um, and that's uh, still there. And um, the point of my post for the Facebook was uh, waking up to the eight people shot at the FedEx place. And knowing that the 
six-year anniversary of Pulse is coming up and nothing's changed. And then seeing that Texas now is trying to pass a bill where you don't need to have a permit to carry a gun. Like, why the fuck do you need a gun? Like, I don't know. It's just... And this was, was, this was what was worrying me about making this podcast because I don't have the answers and I don't know what to say, but um, I'm just sick of it. And I'm sick of everybody pointing the finger and blaming everybody else. And um, this 13-year-old kid in Chicago that was killed by the cop, um, uh, everybody just seems to want to blame the cop. And... I want to say, why is a 13-year-old kid out at 2.30 a.m. in the middle of a war zone holding a gun? You know, and everybody's like, oh, the cop shouldn't have shot him. The cop, And, you know, I would not want to be in that position of having a second to make a decision if someone's going to shoot you or not and what you should do. Like, these guys are human. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's tons of cops out there that are crooked. But, um... Everybody's so quick to point fingers at other people. And uh, I'm just so sick of it. And the other thing that really bothered me was how desensitized we are to these shootings. And seeing on the news yesterday that eight people were shot at FedEx next to the story that J-Lo is now single and this bachelor guy came out gay. Like, who fucking cares? Like, I just... The older I get, like, I don't fucking care if J-Lo's single. I don't care if their bachelor's fucking gay. Like, you know, and when Tiger Woods flipped his car, that was, like, front-page news. It's like they feed us shit in our minds, and it's irrelevant shit. Um, and as long as people buy into it in these tabloids and these reality shows, it's just, like, people's minds are, like, th- third graders, you know? Like, it's too much. Um And I worked in Detroit for seven years, trauma in Detroit, saw many gunshots, you know, and I have friends in Baltimore. Uh, One of my actually really good friends who was my attorney, we've become really good friends. Baltimore's fucked. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen with that place, but they're, um, you know, the whole defund the police thing is moving towards that way and then they're going to stop prosecuting for minor crimes so small drug uh, possession with not selling and prostitution they're not going to prosecute anymore and um, I get it because they don't have the manpower and they got to focus on the other thing but um, God I I keep telling myself if I'm going to do these podcasts I can't fucking sugarcoat stuff so don't piss people off but i'm just gonna say this because no one talks about the pink elephant in the room so like when i worked in detroit um you know these women would come in and their uterus would be hanging out like trust me you don't want to see it like imagine an eggplant hanging by a vine coming out of someone's vagina and their uterus fell out because they had so many kids it wouldn't stay in And um, I'll tell you the story, and this is not a lie. So I don't work ER, but if the ICU was low, they would float people and they would put us in overflow, which is hallways of beds. It kind of sucked. But um, 
I was in one hallway and I had a, Alfred, Alfred was in the other hallway and he comes over and he's like, dude, you have to come look at this. I'm like, what? He's like, just come look at this. And we went over there and there was a prostitute that was, um, handcuffed to a bed and she had a bee hood on and a bee hood on is like a screen that goes across her face because they spit on you and they put a bee hood on them because then they can't, the spit goes back on them and he goes, lift up her gown. I'm like, I really don't want to. And then so we lifted up her gown and there was like vines coming out of her vagina, like kind of like a chia pet. I'm like, what the fuck? And the um, OB guy comes over and he goes, welcome to the inner city boys. And I'm like, that's one thing I really miss about working inner city is the the professionalism is there. The professionalism is there, but like you have to have this sense of humor to survive and you have this camaraderie. That's just, um, you just got, you got to experience it. And we're like, what the hell's going on? And he's like a lot of women in the inner cities who don't have healthcare insurance and have had 10, 12, 15 kids. They put sweet potatoes in their vagina to hold the uterus up. And then they go do their drugs and the sweet potatoes sprout. And, uh, they got to go in and clean it out. And, um, yeah, how that will change your idea for anything sweet potato from now on. Um, we also had another prostitute come in that had black spandex on that were to the knee. And, uh, was that an ER? Yeah, it was. And she was coding and we had to cut off her clothes and, on the back of her butt, it said baby girl. And you've probably seen those pants before where it says something on the back, but it was homemade. It was like glitter with someone's glue. It wasn't professionally done. And we cut the sides of the spandex and we went to go yank the um, spandex off and it wouldn't come off. And uh, yeah, warning, if you have a, I can't, if you can't handle stuff, you might want to stop here. But, um, she had such STDs that it had dried and adhered to the spandex. Ugh, it was brutal, brutal. Um, and that's what happens in the inner city ERs. But, um, I don't know where the world's going, man. It's just, um, my point with that was the pink elephant in the room was that, I mean, I so hesitate to say this because I know I'm going to get fucking horrible messages, but um, stop having kids. You know, like these women are having 10, 15 kids. And I don't know, but a lot of the doctors would tell me that they get, you get a lot of money for each kid, like from the state. So they kept kicking them out. And then those kids are having kids and those kids are having kids and those kids are having kids and they're in the streets and they're on drugs and they're fucking and they're having kids. And it's just, it's just this cycle, but no one talks about it. It's like the homeless population in the West coast right now. It's a drug problem. Like, yeah, it's a homeless problem, but it's also a fucking drug problem. And people just don't want to point the finger. And how can you fix, how can you fix something if you can't admit the pieces of the problem that are happening. Seriously. How can you fix any problem if you're not going to talk about the components of the problem? And that's the problem with the guns right now and the inner city stuff and um, all the violence and the homeless stuff. I mean, I don't fucking know. 
But uh, I don't want to ramble on. I just wanted to tell you about the Pulse stuff, and that's what kind of happened on our end. Um, and I kind of went down the whole road of the guns and the violence and what really happens in the ERs and my opinion on why I don't see it ending to it too soon. So, you know, stay safe, man, and uh, keep your chin up. We're all in this together. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, be safe, right? Later. Well, fuck, I completely forgot about this part, so I have to add on. Um, I walked away, and I closed recording, and I'm like, you idiot. Like, I completely, there was a big piece of this I wanted to talk about Um, because it was in the original Facebook post, but... Uh, if you have followed me or you haven't, like I used to be a huge Madonna fan and um, I kind of lost uh, touch with her after uh, MDNA, but I actually saw her at Joe Lewis the very first time in Detroit and I saw MDNA um, at Joe Lewis in Detroit and I knew after MDNA I was done. Um, it just was, and ironically, um, it's, this is so gay, but she opened up the first tour with a white wedding dress and she closed, well, she, and then she did MDNA with a black wedding dress and it was just like, and I saw it at the same arena and it was just kind of, it was kind of like, okay, we're done with her, but God knows where she went after that. But when I saw the gun control video, how she marketed herself as being one of the victims that were shot. I was so repulsed and turned off. I can't even listen to her old music anymore. Like I can't even listen to any of the stuff that I used to. Um, I just found it so offensive that uh, she would do that. And if you haven't seen it, I'll put the link in the podcast, but yeah, she gets shot on the dance floor as she's dancing and she's laying there all bloody. And I just thought, wow, that's low. But I'm also going to include an example of another artist that did the same thing. Uh, Sia did a video um, for the Pulse stuff, but it's done very well. And what I loved about it was like, that's how you pay tribute being artistic um, using uh, video and dancers and the images they chose to use. They were very careful about what they used. But at the very end of the video, you, uh, you'll you see. I'll leave the link for that one too. But, um, yeah, I wanted to throw that in this podcast that uh, so many people who have asked me, like, I, you're done with Madonna, and I'd never really talked about it. That's why. Um, I just thought that was repulsive. Um to use that tragedy to market yourself. So I just tap that out at the end of this podcast. Later.